Hi, everyone. Welcome to November 6, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Zudi. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. Election night in Colorado went as projected at the top of the ticket, with Joe Biden and John Hickenlooper winning the state by large margins. Hickenlooper beat incumbent Cory Gardner with around 54 percent of the vote, flipping the Colorado U.S. Senate seat from red to blue. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, you know, the, the national polling across the country uh, was awful when it comes to predicting the final results. But in Colorado, it was fairly accurate at the top of the ticket. Uh, it predicted double-digit wins, and we about got there for both uh, Hickenlooper and for Joe Biden. Uh, when we look at the top of the ticket and the final results, what are some of your thoughts from election night? Well, definitely for those two, we did not need pollsters to tell us. Anyone in Colorado could have told you that Trump was very unpopular, has been since, oh, back in 2016, before our primary, when he was talking about how Colorado's system was rigged. So that was a big no vote against Donald Trump. And what they as soon as the polls closed, I think at 7.01, we knew that Biden had won in Colorado and, and that Hickenlooper had won, too. Hickenlooper, unlike... Um, Trump obviously is popular in Colorado, but I also wonder what would have happened if Cory Gardner had at least cut off his ties to Trump when he campaigned. He might have done a little better. He wouldn't have won, but we had a really horrible campaign from both of those, and it wasn't a surprise that Hickenlooper won, but it was a surprise that Cory did just as badly as he did. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. The win, actually, the win by Hickenlooper means that Heidi Gendahl is the only statewide elected Republican in Colorado. Uh, is, was this election, especially when it comes to Cory Gardner, was it simply about President Trump or were there other issues around Cory Gardner that lost the election for him? Well, much as uh, some folks on the activist Democratic left have been hating Cory Gardner uh, not quite since the moment he was born, but since the moment he uh, he won, and you know, you having that mob going down to uh, pick at his house and and threaten him late at night. It's a long trip out to Yuma, Colorado, just to do that. Uh, I don't think there was anything he he could have done. He, as a Republican senator, he had to do what is popular for Republican senators to do, like vote for the the good tax reform bill from 2017 for uh, popular and well qualified uh, U.S. Supreme Court justices. Could he have if his personal revulsion about Trump was clear enough in 2016. If, could he have made a big, more of a big deal about that over the course of his six years in the Senate? I'm not sure it would have uh, shifted very, very many votes in his favor. I, I think he ran about 2% of a points, two points ahead of uh, Trump, but obviously, and as Eric was often saying, he needed that delta, and the delta just wasn't uh, large enough. Uh, public opinion polling is not going to be accurate in a country that doesn't have free speech, which the United States doesn't. The Cato Institute study from this summer showed that 62% of the public, including a majority of moderate Democrats, were afraid to speak out. Uh, and the only group that is, wasn't afraid was the far-left Democrats, who are the ones who have been censoring and canceling everybody else. So we saw that in the secrecy of the voting booth, a lot of people spoke up against this narrative that's dominated the country for the last half years. The Republicans won the highest percentage of uh, the um, non-white vote in a presidential election they have since 1960. Thirty-five percent of Muslims, increases in every demographic group, actually except white, white males where, where Trump lost some. Um, there are a lot of people who don't agree with all this wokeism, the cancellation, the, the theory that white supremacy is the thing that dominates this country right now, that America is systemically racist. But a lot of them have been silenced. And in the privacy of the voting booth, they spoke up and uh, talked about a different vision for, for America's future.
Well, David, I understand your point. I don't think we saw that in Colorado, only because he saw, uh, I didn't see anybody fearful of, you know, their First Amendment rights being taken away when you had the a Trump caravan on interstate highways, you had uh, the, the various folks on corners on uh, in, in streets and uh, other neighborhoods. I mean, if you're talking about national polling, I understand that. But in Colorado, I don't think we saw that. Well, you saw plenty of people all over the country, even in you know Brooklyn and Los Angeles, very deep blue territories with the Trump caravans and things like that. Clearly, there, there are plenty of people who uh, spoke up anyway, but in terms of the polling accuracy, there are also a lot of people who, who feel intimidated. Uh, you know, what if you work for an employer who says, our mission is to fight white supremacy? You know, you think you're going to talk about that at work and say, how that's, that's really kind of like out of line and not really realistic in the fact that we're in America in 2020 instead of 1920? I think uh, tons of people I know have, are afraid to, to say what they think uh, because of fears of retaliation from their employer or their social groups. Eric Sondman, political analyst and columnist of the Colorado politics. Bringing it back to Colorado, uh, you talked a lot about throughout the campaign that Gardner was going to need to pull a lot of Biden votes if he was going to win, win re-election. Campaign-wise, Gardner ran, uh, I think, a campaign that looked a lot like what we saw in 2014. It was the rolled-up blue shirt. It was with his family out camping. It was talking about the environment. It, uh, it, it felt as bipartisan as he could. And he won some of the Biden voters back, but there were a lot a lot more Biden voters to win back this time. When you look at the top of the ticket results, what do you think? Well, you start with the magnitude of the Biden win in Colorado. He won by 14 points. Think about that. Jared Polis won a huge victory two years ago, and that was 10 and a half points. Uh, Biden improved on that by three and a half, going on four points. Once that was in the bank, there was nothing Cory Gardner could do. I actually thought he would run maybe two points uh, uh, better than uh, Donald Trump ran. He ended up running close to five points better than Donald Trump uh, ran. And, uh, by, Trump lost the state by uh, 14. Corey lost the state by roughly nine points. So power to him for uh, a decent campaign on his part. If there's a criticism of Cory Gardner, going back to where David was before we took that detour, uh, it's that he had an he was probably looking at not being reelected all along. This is an increasingly blue state and a state that just never felt the Donald Trump uh, affection. Uh, he could have been more outspoken, not for political calculation, just because that's the right thing to do. Uh, Cory Gardner back early Trump years described the then presidential candidate before he became president as a buffoon. He was right in his assessment then, but all of a sudden the cat got his tongue because he got intimidated by the Trump tweets and the Trump base. So there was an honorable path for Corey to take that he opted against, but there was no viable political path. Corey was damned if he did, damned if he didn't, and now he's an ex-senator. One other point, Dominic, on the Senate race, um, congratulations to John Hickenlooper. He goes to Washington. He can now prove himself in this post. But I think we should be clear that virtually any serious Democratic candidate would have won this race in these circumstances. John Hickenlooper was the one who actually came in and won it, but anyone would have won it. And it didn't require John Hickenlooper coming in as a white knight to save it for the Democrats.
Natasha Garner, freelance journalist, uh, rounds out our folks joining us remotely. Natasha, let's get to what Eric just left us with in John Hickenlooper. We've been talking a lot about Corey Gardner, justifiably he's the incumbent that lost. But here we have John Hickenlooper, whether he likes it or not, now he's a U.S. senator and uh, likely part of the uh, minority party in the U.S. Senate. Maybe not what he had planned in talking about this a few months ago, but what do you expect from Senator-elect Hickenlooper? Well, I think a, a more of the same. I mean, John Hickenlooper is not an unknown quantity to Colorado. And I think when he goes to Washington, he'll continue um, being the type of uh, politician that he's always been. What's interesting is how will that translate into Washington? You know, sort of his consensus building, he, you know, he's not someone to take a, a very strong stand right out of the gate. He, he's more about delegating. Those are all things that have marked his tenure, both as mayor and governor. So now that he's senator, where it's a little bit of a different power our structure it will be interesting to see how he translates that within Washington, D.C. Um, and interestingly enough, too, while we were talking about how blue Colorado was on Tuesday night, um, it's important to, to note that there are a lot of differences within that party. Um, there are huge swings between moderates to um, the, the sort of outer reaches of, of the party. And it's going to be interesting to see how he and Michael Bennett both pull together what is a pretty widespread group right now. Even though the issues in the statewide ballot tackled very different topics, many were passed by Colorado voters. The state will see an income tax cut become a reality, as well as a paid family leave program. Voters also repealed a Gallagher Amendment, but approved a measure to require voter approval for new enterprise fees. Uh, David, we go to you on this one. Usually you see a long ballot like this and a contentious mood in the uh, electorate and no votes are popular, especially if any of the things are confusing. That was not the case this year in all of the issues across the state of Colorado. Uh, what do you think uh, was made that happen? Well, fundamentally, what made it happen is, is our Colorado Constitution's principle, which says the people of Colorado have the sole and exclusive right of governing themselves. And they exercised that right as they chose you know, on, on Tuesday, thanks to our constitutional right of initiative and referendum, and then thanks to the taxpayers' uh, bill of rights, which makes sure that they get to vote, uh, that we have taxation by consent, which is a, a bedrock of this country. So they, they chose to raise their property taxes by repealing the Gallagher Amendment. That was sold to them as, oh, it won't actually raise your taxes, but watch over the long term. Your, your residential taxes are going way up uh, through changes in valuation of assessment, but the people chose that. They gave themselves a little teeny, teeny tiny tax cut, which was the Independence Institute initiative on the, on the income taxes. They stopped one form of creative sleazy accounting, uh, the, creating enterprises that, don't, that aren't really enterprises but are just accounting fictions uh, to evade the taxpayer's bill of rights. Uh, they raised their, tax, their payroll taxes by 1% uh, immediately with the, the family and medical leave, and that's and consented to unlimited future tax increases for that. And believe me, those are going to go up a lot because that is not a fiscally stable program at a 1% tax rate. And you can agree or disagree with certain votes, but I think the great thing is the people of Colorado made their decision one at a time, and they're the proper ones to make that, those decisions. 
Eric, it seems that if Republicans are lacking majorities or influences at statewide offices or in the state legislature, at the ballot box, they're actually seeing more policies passed. The enterprise fee is a good example. The income tax cut that actually came as a response to a ballot issue that never even made the ballot. Uh, another good example. Do you think we'll start seeing more, uh, whether it be Republican or at least libertarian policy being had at the ballot box rather than at the legislature? Well, if conservatives are going to have a voice in the state, that better be the case because they're not obtaining a voice through the uh, a candidate process through running for office as this state just becomes bluer and bluer all the time. Uh, to talk about ballot issues, there were so many of them this year, we would need a two-hour show, but let me just hit a couple. David already hit a couple. I think it was a very mixed result on tax issues, almost a... a, a a paradox or uh, uh, voters were of mixed minds, as David pointed out. You dangled the candy in front of them of a very small uh, income tax decrease. They took that candy. They voted to now have fees and enterprises uh, treated like we treat taxes under Tabor. On the flip side, they approved a repeal of Gallagher, which is, I think it would be a mistake to underestimate the impact of that both from a tax point of view, as David pointed out, but we have talked so long in this state about Pick and Looper called it the fiscal thicket, other people call it the Gordian knot, and there's been decades of talk about that. This is the first really tangible step in, in starting to un unwind or unravel that knot. So we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, then you have uh, the Family and Medical Leave Act. You also have a syntax that was approved to fund early childhood programs. On family and medical leave, as I've been saying, if you love the financial condition of Colorado Para, then you'll really, really love this family and medical leave program five or 10 years down the road because it looks like it takes the same course. Natasha, usually a long ballot in a season where you have the electorate who, at the very least, were approaching this election with some anxiety. I'm not sure if I call it necessarily fear, but at least anxiety. And you add in some uh, ballot issues that were confusing. The, the best of our punditry had trouble explaining the whole Gallagher appeal, uh, yet voters were pretty generous with the yes votes uh, throughout the ballot. What were your thoughts? Particularly in Denver, where we we were definitely in a yes yes mode, um, pretty much up and down that ballot over multiple pages. I mean, in preparation for the show, I, I, I have multiple pages related to the, the the initiatives themselves, which mimics the length of the ballot. And what I think is impressive is how many voters actually stuck with filling out the entire ballot. You know, there's some really interesting points, some that have been hit on already. You know, Gallagher for me is really interesting because that is an issue that is really statewide. We spend so much time talking about how different the front range is from the rest of the areas, the more, the more rural areas of the state. But this is a moment and an issue that people were feeling in, in every community across, across the state, whether you live on the prairies, whether you're in a a rural mountain town or whether you're along the front range. So that is one that deserves a lot of ink in the coming weeks as we talk about sort of the implications and where where that goes. Um, I, I think it's important to note, of course, that on, on 115, uh, Coloradans again um, voted to protect women's health issues, and that was a pretty definitive um, decision. And, and the Family and, and Medical Leave Act, uh, talk about being in the right place at the right time. They have worked on this for so many years in so many situations and perhaps in the time of COVID-19 COVID people finally had a moment to say, okay, 
this this is the time. This is an issue that we care about. I'm still a little impressed with, though, that people were so yes friendly in a time when our financial future is so uncertain because of COVID-19, especially um, we're taping this Friday at noon. We know cases are rising in the state and in, in, in our metros. We know that hospitalizations are up as well. But it seemed that people, while they may have been anxious all about all that, were, were not limiting their future decisions um, potentially because of it. So that'll be something that we should delve into a little bit more in coming weeks as we see more about how this this turnout um, impacted all of these these propositions and amendments. Patty, our friends at Carter Public Radio were worried that they had to change the name of their political podcast, Purplish, because of all the Democrats winning power across the state. But when you look at the ballot issues, I think we're as purple as ever. What do you think? Uh, well, we're a bunch of yes men is what it looks like. I cannot remember a single time, and I'm sure people will correct me um, when they watch this show, that so many statewide ballots have gone yes. It's great. I agree with David that the citizens can put these issues on, but that doesn't mean they always pass. This is an unprecedented number. In Denver itself, sure, tax hikes, all these uh, social issues usually do pass, but statewide, that has not been the case. And when you look at it, I'm going to have to disagree with Natasha on one thing. I think the family leave bill passed precisely because of COVID, that people are very concerned about their health. They're like, why not? This, if you're ever going to pass it, now's the time. Because when you talk about that financial thicket, right now, they have very thorny issues in the state to try to figure out how to run that billion-dollar fund that is also going to take money from your paycheck. They're going to have to deal with the fact that the Gallagher Amendment, there is no question that people's property taxes are going to go up. And I think a lot of people voted for it because the wording said it wasn't going to go up. And it will have to go up. We just have a lot of thickets ahead of us. And we will find wolves in them because just today we found out that the wolf issue, which is kind of the most wacky on that list, also passed. If we had a bet of which one was going to come down to the wire of all those issues, wolves was not on my bingo card. But that I is, think people that is still would have been trying to puzzle out the Gallagher Amendment if we hadn't had a 7 o'clock deadline. <laughs> That's a good point. While a contested U.S. Senate seat in Colorado went from red to blue, Republicans held on to Congressional District 3 as Lowen Boebert defeated Diane Mitch Bush. In an interview with the Post-Independent, a paper in Glenwood Springs, Boebert said her first vote in Congress will be to fire Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. Eric, we go to you first. What does the uh, election of Lowen Boebert mean uh, for uh, state politics here in Colorado? Oh, on one hand, it means a lot. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that much. Yes, she can vote against Nancy Pelosi, but Nancy Pelosi's not counting on her vote. I'm no particular Nancy Pelosi fan, but she'll be reelected by the Democratic caucus, which is the majority caucus in the U.S. House. And of course, Lauren Boebert's going to vote against uh, Nancy Pelosi. That that was a meaning meaningless soundbite. Uh, if I wish I had bet some money at the start of this year that the next congressperson in Colorado, the only newcomer to the delegation, would be the owner of the Shooter's Tavern or Shooter's Bar and Grill in Rifle, Colorado. I think I could have made, uh, had gotten decent odds and made some decent money. When you look at the map of the U.S. that we've seen for the last 72 hours or however long it's been, uh, as it fills in with red and blue, the rural areas, the small town areas of this country are just deeper and deeper red all the time. And that's what the third congressional district is. And Lauren Boebert is the candidate that is the one part of the state that the Republicans continue to thrive in in this election. And uh, as, as 
the suburban and urban areas become more and more blue. The rural areas and small towns become more and more red. Lauren Bolbert now with Cory Gardner's departure becomes the face and the brand of the Colorado Republican Party that might work for her. I'm not sure it's going to work so well for the party. Natasha, I don't send out the questions in advance, but it appears that Eric has some sort of camera looking over to the shoulder on my notes here because my next question to you was, is Lauren Bolbert the new face of the Colorado GOP? Yes, absolutely. I mean, just based on the media attention on her alone um, in the weeks preceding the election and then even in the, the days or has it been weeks since Tuesday? It feels like weeks. Um, she certainly is going to be the face. I think that there's a narrative right now developing about Republican women who won um, in races across the country and how they might be the future of the party. I think it's too early to, to really define what that might be. Um, and I think that she will be part of that definition. So so with any new politician heading to D.C., it'll be interesting. You know, I mentioned this earlier with John Hickenlooper, how how what happened on the campaign trail translates into um, the the white uh, the Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, sort of environment. Um, but that's where she's headed. And we'll we'll soon know. Patty, you thought last week it'd be pretty fun to uh, cover Lauren Boebert, Representative Lauren Boebert, uh, as a journalist. I uh, still feel that way. Oh, sure, because before she said she was going to vote against Nancy Pelosi, she threw a New York Times columnist out of Shooter's Grill. Uh, she is not just the face of the Republican Party in Colorado, but apparently the new physique, judging by the way her ads ran. The Colorado Party, Republican Party, is in so much trouble trying to rebuild. It is just hard to know where they're going to go, where, whether Corey will want to come out, whether... George Brockler is going to be doing things, but right now, Lauren Boebert is the most prominent member. And to imagine her on her first plane trip to D.C., say with Hickenlooper and Michael Bennett, both Wesleyan grads, both, you know, worked in the same administration, and Lauren Boebert, I would love to hear their conversation. Should be some interesting uh, flights there. Uh, David, where do Ken Buck and Lauren Boebert, the two real uh, flag bearers, the Colorado GOP, go from here? Well, Ken Bucks, I believe, is also the chairman of the Republican Party, so he is the much more senior uh, face of the party. Uh, I, I think about what uh, Michael Dukakis said in 1988 on the way to a landslide uh, presidential election of, uh, defeat uh, because of all his unpopular ideas, and he was trying to say, oh, his line was, it's not about ideology, it, it's about competence. Well, I don't think Colorado voters necessarily agree with that. If you wanted competence in the U.S. Senate, you had Lord, uh, Cory Gardner, who was extremely effective about getting stuff passed, and, and John Hickenlooper, who is a very competent executive, accurately said he wouldn't be very good in, in the Senate. I don't think he will be. He'll be a, a vote for ideology, and, and that'll be about it. In the uh, uh, on the Western Slope and Pueblo District, Scott Tipton was a good workmanlike U.S. representative who, with the challenge of being in the minority party, was pretty good about getting things done. And the primary voters re replaced him with Bobert, and then, uh, um, and who was running, saying she wants to be like uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, which is. In, in my mind, saying I want to like run like a, a public idiot and just be on TV all the time and say ridiculous things that I have no understanding about and not be any good at passing legislation or doing anything for my district or the country, but I'll be on TV all the time and I'll have a 70% name recognition. I hope that when she goes to Congress, she actually abandons that and she can still be get a lot of attention and stuff, but a AOC is, is no, no role model for anyone of any party.
Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, we have another campaign ahead of us, which is, of course, trying to do anything to stop the spread of COVID-19. As we were taping this, um, Natasha referred to it, we... Uh, Hancock just set up, not a curfew, but everything's supposed to close at 10 o'clock. And Denverites are supposed to go home. And Polis is also warning us to have very small Thanksgivings. No turkeys over four pounds. So let's all hope we behave ourselves and do everything we can to stop the spread and get on with life as we knew it. David. As we move into the uh, the sore loser man phase of the, the presidential election, uh, of, of course, uh, President Trump has has every right to demand recounts, verifications, and things like that, and, and looking into investigate real issues. And Philadelphia, among others, is not exactly a place known for clean elections. But when people appropriately deplore just these kind of wild claims that don't come backed by any evidence or credible allegations, you people doing the deploring. Uh, think about how you treated Stacey Abrams with her phony claim that after she lost by 50,000 votes for governor of Georgia and uh, they had record-setting turnout that year, she lost because of illegal voter suppression. How'd you treat Hillary Clinton with her nutty claim that Russia stole the election in 2016 and she was the real legitimate winner? You know, when you empower and treat as seriously delusional narcissists, it doesn't stick in one party, it spreads. Eric, we go to you. Similar thought, but a different angle on it. Uh, Donald Trump's reaction to this increasingly likely near certain defeat is deeply, deeply concerning and deeply, deeply anti-democratic, small d democratic. Uh, if you have any specific evidence, then bring forward the evidence. There's a process to, to litigate that evidence and to evaluate and judge that evidence. But these wild claims a fraud where there does not seem at this point in time to be any kind of widespread fraud are just reprehensible. I quote from his own uh, speech, his inaugural speech four years ago, where he said American carnage stops right here and it stops right now. Let's hope it stops. Natasha. As a reporter in Colorado, one thing I've always appreciated is that we have a pretty clear sense of when vote tallies are coming out. It um, not only helps with reporting, it allows us to get more backstory in the in-between times. I think it also provides a lot of clarity um, for voters and people, the, the public who are waiting for results. I wish that that practice was more uh, thoroughly employed across the entire United States. We've been chatting tonight. Time to say something nice. Bumper sticker edition. Patty. Turn off the camera because I'm going to deny ever saying this, but I am welcoming Cozy's Christmas music, which starts today. After this year, I'm ready. <laughs> David. The business owners and the other decent people who were victimized by yet another far-left riot uh, earlier this week, the people chanting no USA at all, uh, here's to the people who are fighting back and standing up against them. Although the far-left right was saying that they had problems with liberalism too, but I, I get your point. You, uh, well, you're very far-left. You don't like liberals either. Uh, Eric, we go to you. Echoing Natasha's uh, previous comment, the Colorado election process, the process itself, the people who made it work, voting by mail works when it's done right, and it was done right here in Colorado once again. Natasha. To all the people who in the middle of a pandemic, the poll workers, the counters, and, and I'm going to throw it out to the math teachers, too, who make that all possible later on down the line. Um, it certainly has been quite a week, but thank you for all their efforts. 
My quick say something nice is next Wednesday is Veterans Day. I think all of us have, uh, like myself, important veterans in, their, in, in your lives. Uh, to all of uh, the veterans out there, thank you, and may your service never be forgotten. That is all the time we have today. Thank you for, uh, for watching. On behalf of everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night.